You are listening to Finance Roundtable, a podcast focused on demystifying money. The hosts, Professor Jacob Gold, Michael Koschel, and Kelvin Gold, will educate and entertain you in all areas related to money. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to the Finance Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, Professor Jacob Gold, and today we have a special guest. He's the Chief Investment Officer of Satera Investment Management. It's Mr. Gene Goldman. Gene, welcome back to the program. How are you doing today? Thank you. Great. Great to see you. Thank you, Professor. Thank you, team. <laughs> great to Good see, to see you, guys. Gene. It's great to have you back. You you really you came on last year and we're so grateful for that. I know you and I saw each other when we were in Nashville at a conference a few months back. What have you been uh, busy doing recently? Oh, just obviously the markets never change. Every day markets are up, markets are down, so watching carefully. Unfortunately, I did get the flu on Christmas Eve through a couple of days ago, so I'm a little congested, but I feel a lot better. So, but you can't apologies hear it. My, apologies if my, my body temperature goes up and down during our podcast. So. <laughs> You're a true professional. You sound but the, great. But the highlight was I did go before Christmas, the week before Christmas, I went back to Boston where I'm from, got to see the Patriots lose to the Chiefs. So mm. that was fun. And I got to see Taylor Swift. She was in a suite. I could nice. look up and see her in the Swift in, in a suite. So, oh, that is too good. You know, the last time you were on, you mentioned Taylor Swift again. I'm starting to sense a, a theme here. Oh, I'm a Swifty. I got my I got my my wristband. <laughs> I guess I put that one on your radar, huh? Yeah, you, to- you totally did. <laughs> well, Gene, it's 2024 now. There's new opportunities, new risks on the horizon. Mm-hmm. What do you foresee in 2024 from an economic perspective? Sure. I think um, and that's, that's a great start. You know, obviously we're about a week in a week, week and a half into the into the year. So what we laid out, we, our three key themes for 2024 are at the end of the day, they're pretty optimistic. So I think number one is that the Fed goes from foe to friend. So what that means is that the Fed last year raising rates, you know, slowing down the economy in order to reduce inflation this year. Given the fact that inflation has come down pretty quickly, given the fact the economy is slowing down, that we do believe the Fed will cut rates this year. We can talk about this a little bit later, but the Fed has said we will cut rates three times as their base case scenario. But the markets today are saying something different. They're saying six times, 150, you know, 1.5%. So at the end of the day, the Fed is going to be our friend. That's good for the markets. Our second theme is that the economy cools into a soft landing. So soft landing is just so we're all on the same page. Soft landing is when the Fed raises rates, but does not put the economy into a recession. We think, you know, I hate saying this, I don't usually say this, but the Fed is actually doing a great job. They've raised rates just right to slow the economy down. I think the key point is that even if we have a recession, it's going to be very mild. And the reason I say this is because you look at areas in recession today, housing, manufacturing, autos, they've all stabilized or or even starting to bounce back a little bit. Building permits are picking up. Auto sales are picking up. You know, also you're seeing manufacturing, which is sort of in the doldrums for the last 14 months. It's stabilizing though at low levels. And our third and final theme, which kind of ties everything together, expect a lot of market volatility. The Fed is going to need to guide this airplane down the soft landing economic airplane. There's going to be a lot of turbulence, a lot of volatility in the market. But the good news, and this is the theme, the good news is that even 
If we have a lot of volatility, there's going to be a lot of great opportunities for long-term investors. We think market breadth is going to widen. That means more stocks are going to do well in upward market as the Fed cuts rates. We also think the earnings recession is over. It's good news for stocks. Yes, valuations are a little high, pricing in near perfection. But if you have lower inflation, lower interest rates, all good news, which should support valuations. So we're pretty optimistic for 2024. Oh, that that's so great, Gene. And I, you know, with interest rates possibly coming down, we recognize that bond prices can come up. Yes. Uh, and obviously that presents an opportunity for equities as well. I, I know the last few years, a 60-40 mix portfolio um, has been poo-pooed a bit in, in the media. But I would I would say with this forecast, uh, you know, the strength of the 60-40 portfolio, 60% equities, 40% bonds, that seems to be a, you know, good middle of the fairway type of approach. Would you agree with that? I, de I definitely agree. I think, you know, last, you know, generally speaking, it's something we've done some analysis on before. Generally speaking, stocks go up, bonds go down and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But the last few, you know, couple of years, we've seen both stocks going down and stocks going up along with bonds going down, both going up. So it hasn't been pretty consistent. That's just a very rare anomaly. I think having exposure to stocks and bonds, depending on your investment objective, it's a great way to be diversified. Little exposure to different parts of the market. Last year was a weird market. It was a magnificent seven. There was a seven key stocks driving technology, driving growth. That's not a normal market. In a normal market, you see different parts of the market doing well, some doing poorly. The way you survive this type of market is diversification. Yeah. And you mentioned too, I mean, you're right. In the, especially in the large cap growth arena, those PE ratios are, are compared to historical averages a bit high, but there's opportunity in small caps. If you look at the PE ratio of small caps, it's it's below this last 50 year average. Would you say there's opportunities outside of the, the mega caps? Def definitely. Definitely. I mean, gr everyone loves growth. Growth is good. Growth, you know, people love growth and that's, and you pay up for growth. That's why valuations are high. But if you look at valuations, compared to averages, I think the PE ratio, the price earnings ratio of, let's say large cap growth is around 33. The long-term average is around 20, I think 22 or 24. If you look at other asset classes like value, small cap, international, they're close to the long-term averages around 13 or 14. Good opportunities in other asset classes, especially, and you know, this is the key point, you know, growth tends to do well as the economy starts to slow down. And we probably had that last year. If, on the other hand, the economy is, is avoids a recession or the recession is mild and we start to price in a recovery, what does well? Small caps, value, those other areas, those more economically sensitive sectors of the market. Great. Yeah. Gene, I got a question for you. Yes. Back in 2020, mm -hmm. uh, COVID was not on our radar this time of year. Three months later in March, it's it's everywhere. It's the biggest thing. In 2024, how do we properly prepare ourselves what's, for what's unexpected in the year to come? Sure. You can never predict exactly what's going to happen. I mean, mm -hmm. all you can do is just try to be safe, have your portfolios consistent with your long-term objective. I think the safest strategy to do is, is what we talked about earlier, diversification. Don't just bet on one part of the market. Have exposure to different parts. It's like the old adage, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Be diversified. But again, yeah. the key point is that you want to be diversified to your long-term objective. You don't want to be too aggressive or too conservative. That's why you need to sit down with your financial advisor, with you know Jacob, Professor Jacob and Kelvin and the rest of the team together just to be, you know, make sure you're aligned with your long-term objectives. But 
a side, side question related to your question is, what are some big risks that we see in the this year to, to look at? I mean, obviously, you know, no one could have predicted COVID, but some risks that we see are, number one, valuations for the stock market are a little pricey. You know, they're pricing in perfection. I think number two, you can look at maybe we do have a recession. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe most people are wrong. I mean, you look at key recession indicators like the leading economic index, which is 10 indicators, which are have a great way of potentially predicting recessions. The la- Every time it's at this level, which is very negative, we've had a recession. You can look at it historically. Every time this level, we have a recession within, you know, say a, a year or so. So maybe we have a recession. Um, the other thing is that the yield curve is inverted, another potential recession warning light. So those maybe there is a recession. The thing that we're watching carefully, and I touched on this earlier, is that the Fed today is saying no recession in 2024, but only three rate cuts. What the market is saying is no recession, but six rate cuts. And there's a big disconnect. And that disconnect is going to create some volatility. This is why we saw stocks start off the year pretty poorly because of this volatility, this disconnect. Who's going to be right? Hard to say. We think that it's going to be somewhere in the middle, that the Fed will need to raise rates, cut rates, excuse me, a little bit more than they expect, but not as much as the markets anticipate because the economy is a little bit stronger than the markets are pricing in right now. Right. So those are the key risks that we see. And, and what are your thoughts about the... Uh, the war in Ukraine, as well as the war in the Middle East, does that play into our economy here in the United States? Or how should investors look at at this global conflict that exists? Yeah, great question. So geopolitical risks are always concerning. First of all, you know, our hearts are with those people who are affected. I mean, we're, we sit here talk about the financial markets, but those living the war, I mean, it's just, it's, it's awful, especially if you have friends, family, and loved ones there. Our, our perspective, though, you know, it, it's, it depends on on, it, on what happens in each region. So let's say Russia, Ukraine, we saw the surge in fuel prices. We saw the mm-hmm. surge in food prices. We saw the surge in natural gas prices. In the Middle East, you know, seemingly the war is contained right now. Um, no one really wants to escalate that. And the reason you can see this is that oil prices are down around $70 a barrel. If this war were to escalate, you would see oil prices surge dramatically. But even we saw over the weekend, Saudi Arabia cut energy price, cut oil prices. So clearly there's a lack of demand right now for oil, which says that the economy, the global economy is slowing down. So you have mm-hmm. to watch these wars because there's a you know, there's always ramifications to what could happen. One book, one of my first books I read in, in the industry is a book called Liar's Poker. Great book. It's a great, great book. What I loved about the book, not about the demise of, you know, Solomon's, you know, Solomon Brothers, but more importantly about how something happens across the world and how it affects the financial markets here. So something could happen like a war or an event or something, and then you'll see there's an impact on, let's just say, copper prices down the road. So it's a great book to read. It's a light, easy book. It's the same guy that did um, The Blind Side and Moneyball. Great Michael book. Lewis, right? Yeah, Michael Lewis, yes. So I'm terrible at names. So Michael Lewis, <laughs> thank you. But again, you have to watch these instances very, very carefully. But again, this is why diversification. You are diversified, having exposure to different parts of the market. Yeah, it's very good. And now, now, what about also the presidential election in this year, 2024? That can obviously and is creating some gyration uh, out there. How should investors look at the presidential election? Should they just look beyond it? Uh, mm-hmm. Should they take into account certain factors? What are your thoughts on that? I would look beyond it. I mean, I hate to say this, but look beyond it. Just because we did, we saw some, we did some stats. So in the 16 presidential years since 2020, sorry, since 2000, and, I, and I'm looking at my notes right here. Um, 
the stock the stock market has that year of an, of a presidential election has been positive in 14 of the 16 years mm-hmm. and the average return for the S&P 500 is about 10.5%. So the only time the stock market was negative was in 2000 we had a recession we had a tech bubble and in 2008 where we had the housing you know the housing mm-hmm. crisis but generally speaking the markets ignore the the presidential election. Question is who's going to win? I don't know but my only advice to all of you listening is don't listen to the polls. The polls are worse, getting worse and worse and worse in terms of who's going to win. The best thing to look at would be sort of the offshore betting odds where they're taking in all the information, get that perspective. So I'm not going to say who's going to win. You know, At this point, it's, it's a coin flip. But at the end of the day, look at the offshore betting odds. Don't look at the polls. The polls have been completely wrong. Interesting stats. Yeah, that's interesting because most, so many clients fear the mm-hmm. election years. But when you look at stats... They're actually been quite quite good during those years. Interesting yeah. enough, as I always have clients fearing, oh, elections right around the corner. What do I need to do? But uh, statistically, they've done quite well. Yeah, it's it's funny. So you look at a year, like you know, people will say, okay, stock market. If we have a you know Democrat Congress and a Democratic president, that's good news because we have a blue wave. But then they'll say, okay, if we have a Republican president and a Democratic Congress, we have a mixed government, so nothing gets done. That's great news. Or if we have Republican Congress and Republican president, it's a red wave. It's all great news. So it's it's funny. It, it, there's always the initial shock, but it, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it really doesn't matter. Stocks tend to do pretty well. Nothing's a guarantee, of course, but stocks tend to do pretty well. Right, That's right. solid advice because I think so many people just they get caught in that that storm of information, that noise out there, and and they think that they can crack the code and have an advantage. When in reality, like we talked about, you just got to look beyond it. You got to look at your objective um, and and what your goals are, and to not be jaded by you know the 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 noise out there. Yeah. Exactly. Ex- exactly. Exactly. I'll jump in, Gene. I have a yes. question to run by. We always throw all these questions at you and always appreciate your insights and thoughts. Um, I, I get this question quite a bit uh, from clients, other professionals, and over the years, it's come up quite a bit. It's relating to the housing market, primarily residential and so forth, which there's been so many variables lately from interest rates to uh, house pricing valuations to inventories. It seems like the dust has settled a little bit. And mm-hmm. with that being said, do you think there might be a little bit more consistency that we might see in the housing? Because I find that clients, it's difficult to make decisions, uh, buying a house or not and that sort of thing. A lot of it's the fear of like, I don't want to buy and it's way high. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't want to buy when rates do. There's so many variables these days, but there was a period of time where there was more consistently where you could feel like that's a pretty solid in- investment decision, or even as a primary resident, do you feel like there might be a little bit more consistency going forward now that things have settled a little bit? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think your point is a really good point because part of the volatility we've seen in housing and housing prices in in just people finding houses is basically COVID. And during COVID, we lost about 1.8 million households. What happened is that the, the recession started, COVID happened. Basically, people were afraid of how long was COVID going to last? What mm. would be the impact? So people moved in with their parents or they took on roommates because they were unsure about how long the recession would last. Mm. And then, you know, six, nine months later, the vaccine came out. 
people realize, okay, this COVID thing is maybe it's slowing down. Maybe we can get back out there. So people started getting out there and renting and buy, they started buying homes. But mm-hmm. home prices surged 31% in about two years, pretty mm-hmm. fast, pretty quickly. So they got priced out. So they started renting and then rent mm-hmm. surged dramatically. All this created all this volatility. And then now you have mortgage rates much higher where people don't want to sell homes. So this volatility is going to be with us for a while. But to your point, if you look at new home set, uh, new home construction and building permits, those are both surging dramatically. Mm-hmm. That's going to factor its way into homes, into inventories, into pricing. So we think there'll be much more stabilization right now. And plus, with mortgage rates start to pull back a little bit, it might be might be better. You know, right now, last stat I saw was that was like sixty five percent of homeowners' value is owners' equity. And mm-hmm. that's a pretty high level. So therefore, home prices going up, going down, there's not that much incentive, not incentive, much, not much need to sell out of a home. Not like the 2008 crisis where we're at about 30%, 32%, where mm-hmm. people had to sell homes pretty fast, pretty quickly because values drop. So I think housing will be stable. Um, obviously, there's going to be bubbles here and there, but at the end of the day, housing will be stable. Yeah, good to hear. Thank you. Plus, for that. plus, if you look at home builder sentiment, home builder sentiment is pretty strong. And home builder sentiment is a very forward looking indicator. Well, with rates going up, you think that might deter that, but not really. I, my first mortgage was eight and a half percent. So, honestly, <laughs> to see what we're seeing here, yeah. uh, it's not new to everyone. Some people have experienced the, I guess, yeah. call it the regular mortgage rate compared <laughs> to what it was for years. So, that's yeah. good to hear that home builders and building are still continuing to move forward. Yeah, Thank my you. my mom's first mortgage was back in 1980. I think it was June of 1980. It was was it 17.4 percent or something outrageous. So, and then she refinanced at 16.3. So <laughs> back in the day. So. Thank well, you. Gene, I appreciate you. Yeah, Gene, you always you bring a lot of great perspective to the conversation, and uh, we really value your your expertise your leadership here at Cetera. And uh, once again, thank you so much for joining us on Finance Roundtable Podcast. We look forward to having you return at some point in the future, and we wish you all the best. We we see you on all the different shows from CNBC to Fox Business. And whenever I see you on those shows, I'm always uh, rooting for you, and, and you always <laughs> represent us really well. So thank you for all that you do for us. Rooting, you're like, rooting, don't mess up, Gene. <laughs> no, <laughs> we have all the faith in the world in you. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity. Again, 2024 should be a good year. Can't guarantee anything, but the best strategy is diversification. And for those of you listening, please stay in contact with these guys. You've got to make sure that your portfolio is aligned with your long-term objectives because volatility is going to be the, the key word this year, volatility, fluctuations in the market. Thank Good you. advice. Thank you, Gene. We really appreciate it. You have a wonderful day, okay? You too. Bye, right, everyone. Thank care. you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Finance Roundtable. Make sure to check out our episodes at www.financeroundtablepodcast.com. We also encourage you to explore www.jacobgold.com to find articles, research, videos, and more from Jacob Gold and Associates, Inc. If you have a question for the show, please email Jacob at jacob at jacobgold.com. Jacob Gold and Michael Koschel are financial advisors offering securities and advisory services through Cetera Advisor Networks, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFGAN Insurance Agency, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC.
a broker-dealer, and registered investment advisor. Cetera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Jacobs California Insurance License 0E55425. Michaels California Insurance License 0K90130. The views depicted in this material are for information purpose only and are not necessarily those of Cetera Advisor Network. They should not be considered specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Neither Cetera Advisor Networks nor any of its representative may give legal or tax advice. Kelvin Gold is a marketing associate. Registered address is 14850 North Scottsdale Road, Suite 255, Scottsdale, Arizona, 85254. Cetera Investment Management, LLC, is an SEC-registered investment advisor owned by Cetera Financial Group. Cetera Investment Management provides market perspectives, portfolio guidance, market management, and other investment advice to its affiliated broker-dealers, duly registered broker-dealers, and registered investment advisors. Cetera Financial Group refers to the network of independent retail firms encompassing, among others, Cetera Advisors, LLC, Cetera Advisor Networks, LLC, Cetera Investment Services, LLC, marketed as Cetera Financial Institutions or Cetera Investors, and Cetera Financial Specialists, LLC. All firms are members FINRA SIPC. Cetera Financial Group is located at 2301 Rosecrans Avenue, Suite 5100, El Segundo, California, 90245.